0: Sign up for Score North's Pick Your Prize. You can register daily through the Score North app or go to scorenorth.com keyword prize. Sweepstakes begins March 18th. Special thanks to our prize partners.
1: Thanks for checking out this podcast
0: presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, U.S. Bank Stadium, or XL Energy Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota football, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. Welcome to another edition of the Purple Podcast. We are back at it before the trip down to the windy city. We are sitting outside on a windy day in Eden Prairie, uh, getting ready for the Monday night game between the Minnesota Vikings and the Chicago Bears. I'm Ben Gessling, cover the Vikings for ESPN and various platforms that ESPN uh, distributes. I'm joined, as usual, by Matthew Collar from 1500ESPN, 1500ESPN.com. We are sitting out at Winter Park on a Friday as the Vikings get into their second practice of the week. And we are looking ahead to Monday's game as the Vikings try to shake off their 21-10 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles that might or might not have provided a blueprint, depending on who you talk to, of (laughs) how teams will play the Vikings in the future. Matthew, let's get started there. There's been a lot of talk this week about whether the Eagles did things defensively, particularly, that give future teams... A chance to copy that and, and say, "Okay, this is the way you're going to have to play the Vikings." Now, people have different takes on this. You and I have both written about it a little bit this week. Let's just kind of get into it. And you know, what do you, do you feel like the Eagles expose some things that we're going to see teams copy?
1: Well, I don't know if you've ever heard of this before, Ben, but it's a game of adjustments.
0: It's also a copycat league.
1: Oh, it is. That's a good point. Um, and that's all we need for this podcast. We're done. Now, what I found the Eagles did many of the Riveting things. Riveting insight right? for the verbal podcast. <laughs> uh, what, what I found that the Eagles did that it, I think a lot of teams will copy is they used the safeties to blitz. Yes, they did. And that just wreaked havoc on the offensive line of the Vikings. And one of the things that it seemed the Eagles really understood was just – how little continuity had been there from yes. the Vikings offensive line. And they just threw everything they could to mix up the Vikings offensive line that entire day, including those safety blitzes, which got to Sam Bradford on a very regular basis. I, I think it starts there, but also you made a great point on the last purple podcast that they were using the safeties to come up and try to jump some of those short yeah. routes. Yeah. And we've, you know, we've said over and over go back to the short game, go back to the short game. The same time, everybody else now is looking for that too, and I think Chicago will follow some of that model.
0: Well, I I thought it was interesting, our our ESPN stats and information people who come up with all sorts of interesting nuggets pointed out after the game, I think that the Eagles had blitzed a a defensive back like six times in their first five games of the year and did it, I think, seven times on Sunday or, or something to that effect. I mean, basically had doubled the number of times they used that in a year And the Eagles, through their first five games, had blitzed less than any team in the league. And they came after Sam Bradford Sunday, particularly with a lot of those corner and safety blitzes, which tells you that you you can't write that off as, okay. this is just how this team plays. This is in the normal flow of what they want to do on defense. They saw some things that they wanted to use to exploit what the Vikings were doing on offense, and they did it with uh, pretty great effect, I thought, and... You're going to have teams, I think, now try to do more of that, especially maybe not as much this week. The Bears are not a team that that blitzes a whole lot. I'm not sure that it's going to be a team that throws a lot of exotic stuff at you, but the Lions, the Redskins, certainly the Cardinals, you're going to see a lot of teams coming up here that like to blitz and like to bring extra pressure. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, but I, I think the fact that you had a team that doesn't do a lot of blitzing that said, okay we're going to bring it, and we're going to bring it from a lot of different angles, shows you that, at least in that case, they saw something they wanted to exploit, and I would be very surprised if a lot of teams aren't at least looking at that possibility very seriously.
1: There's another part of it, too, that I saw with the Eagles in going back through the tape was Every once in a while, they threw a classic Dick LeBeau-style zone blitz. Yes, where a lot they, of fire zones. I, I, I noticed even that Fletcher Cox dropped back in coverage a couple of times, which, I mean, Fletcher Cox is one of the elite interior defensive linemen in the NFL, yep. and it was something that I didn't expect to see myself, but early in the game, uh, Bradford drops back, and I think his first read from what he looked pre-snap was to just dump it off to Asiata, yeah. and then you know they throw this zone blitz at him, and he kind of panics a little bit and throws to Asiata, gets a, maybe a three-yard gain, but the point was that he made that read, and it looked like he probably had a couple of other options, but instead he ends up getting a play that was pretty unproductive. Now, I mean, compared to some of the other unproductive plays that went on because of the offensive line, I think we focused more on that. But the amount of things that Philadelphia threw at the Vikings in terms of unique looks and, and things that would have forced Bradford to go through progressions, that might cause some problems going forward. and Even some of the Eagles players I, I read had mentioned, like we knew some of his weaknesses yeah, in terms of going to that second or third read, and then you add the pressure to go along with that. That they thought that they could confuse him pre-snap, and they did.
0: Well, and that's the thing. And we talked a lot last week about Sam Bradford going back to face his old team. And I, you know, I think we all get a little tired of that storyline just from the, the from the perspective of. Oh, is it emotional? Are you going to go back? I mean, the guy was there for a year. It's not like he's going back to to face a a team that he won three Super Bowls with or something like that. But it did matter in the sense that you had a defense that knew what was going to bother Sam Bradford. And I think the fact that they did some of the things they did and the fact that they sort of knew whether it's the fact that he likes to throw quickly or the fact that this is an offensive line that has had some issues and you have to work around it they knew if we take away some of those quick passes, it's going to give them trouble. And we saw them do that. We saw them blitz guys off the edge and then run a safety down to to take away that bubble screen that he wanted to throw to Patterson. They've gone to that on some of the run-pass option stuff. They run design bubble screens. There are a lot of those things they like to do to get the ball out quickly. And I, I do think that that has helped mitigate some of the offensive line issues. But when you put him in situations where he has to go through his progression and get time to throw – it can lead to trouble because you still have a guy who's been in this offense for five or six weeks now, and as much as he's learned and as much as he's probably absorbed in that time, it's, it's still hard to expect him to go through and be able to read everything all the time and get into his third, fourth read and expect that that's going to work a lot. So I, I do think you're going to see teams say, all right, prove to us that you can adjust and that you can go out and do something different.
1: Well, that's uh, – yeah, that's what I was thinking about next is just – I mean, this is a game of adjustments in the National Football League, but what adjustment do the Vikings make now? Because uh, though Pete Carroll gave us a hint of a trade there, uh, he must have been <laughs> referring to Jake Long <laughs> instead. I, he must that have been. Created some uh, some fervor there on Wednesday when Pete Carroll said, I saw the Vikings made a big move. And we're like, what wait, can, wait can what? Can we
0: get into that for just a second? Because everybody was blowing up all of our Twitter feeds about it. Wednesday night. I get the trade deadlines coming up. I get the Vikings need to make a move. I'm not saying it's impossible that they will, but we need to apply common sense to anything we hear in the next week. And we need to start with the fact that as of yesterday, when I last checked, the Vikings had like $615,000 in cap room. So if they are going to acquire a player, they're going to have to come up with a way to get some cap room. The easiest way to do that, of course, is to restructure a veteran or to trade one. But the teams that you're going to be trading with are probably not going to be teams that want to acquire a veteran player. They're going to want what? Draft picks. The Vikings have already traded their first-rounder. It would require them to give up another high pick or convince a team to take a high-priced player or restructure somebody, maybe a couple players, to, to make room for somebody in the next couple days here. The odds of them getting a guy like Joe Thomas, is it impossible? No. Is it going to be very difficult for them to pull that off? Yes.
1: Now I did read that Thomas's contract, the way it works with his cap hit, it's fairly reasonable right now. Yeah, it's yeah. like four and a half million or somewhere around there, and then it goes up to ten next year. Yes. So the, I mean, if you're thinking that it's insanely exorbitant, it really isn't. Right, and it's um,
0: prorated because we're already almost half the year gone.
1: Now, if you're if you're the Browns, though. Maybe because they have an insane amount of cap room, yeah, they might be interested in like, okay, we'll take the player just to make it work, but you gotta throw in an extra fifth or sixth round pick.
0: I'm just, I'm saying this to sort of provide a public service announcement. Run this stuff as you hear it in the next few days through a lens of, okay, what else has to happen for this? Right. It's not as simple as, oh yeah, they want Joe Thomas, yeah. We can totally make that happen in five seconds. I mean, you would have to clear a little bit of cap room if if the Browns said, okay, we need a receiver, we take a guy like Jarius Wright, he's still young, he could be in our future plan, okay. But you're probably still going to need to clear some money on top of that. right? And then you'll probably have to throw in a draft pick because that's a front office that in its new wave of analytics thinking is going to want picks. So not saying it's impossible, just saying –
1: Part two, though. Count Part two, you're saying it's it's unlikely that you yes. put you know a very low percentage on it happening.
0: It's not zero, but it, yeah, as our friend Derek, as, as Derek Wetmore, Wetmore would, say. would
1: say. But but should they be going after it hardcore? I mean, they already went all in. Yeah. on Sam Bradford, and to me. Like, and we've talked about this almost since week one. Yeah. There is one glaring weakness on this team, and it is right there. Yep. And Joe Thomas is, like, top five in the league. Yeah. I mean, you're going from basically an untenably bad situation to having one
0: of the best players in the league. And it would solve a big problem for next year, too.
1: Uh, is it is it worth it to give up that much if you're really going for it because you're 5-1 and one right now? The NFC doesn't have a team that looks impossible right. to beat. yeah. Even the other teams, Atlanta, Seattle, Dallas, they've all got their warts.
0: I'm not questioning whether it's a worthwhile thing to pursue. I'm just saying that when these rumors start flying the next few days, and they already have in some ways. Thanks, Pete. we We need to say, okay, that's a good idea, but let's consider all of the mechanisms that have to take place for this to work because they cannot be over the cap at any point. And they already don't have a first-round pick. Just standing in the lay of the land, we can get back to discussing whatever it is we were yeah. discussing well, before what, I went on a rant. What,
1: here, we, what we were discussing. So I think that if it's if there is any chance to swing it, yes. the situation has sort of presented itself to just go all the heck in on this season since you already did with Sam Bradford, so why not with a tackle as well? And there are probably other options. This was brought up um, by OverTheCap.com. Uh that, you know this isn't the only option out right. there that there will Joe be Staley. other yeah like, there will be other players that might be a possibility from teams that uh have kind of sunk their season already but what we were getting into just going into this Chicago game in particular is how do you solve some of the problems up front because if you're not adding Joe Thomas tomorrow then where do you go from here with this offensive line if there's not going to be a personnel change <laughs>
0: Boy, if we had the answer to that question, (laughs) we would uh, probably be
1: working across the street street,
0: making a lot more money than we are. You know, I mean, you maybe hope that Jake Long is is less rusty and is better than he was last week, because that was certainly a lot of the issue on a couple of those fumbles last week that he was not able to set the edge. I mean, certainly on the first fumble, that was the big problem. I, I did a piece with Matt Bowen earlier this week looking at that play, and and his basic issue on that was they had, I mean, he said, as he pointed out, they had seven guys in protection to block five. Matt Asiata doesn't make a great block but delays the safety long enough that Bradford has some time. The, the issue was that Connor Barwin got around the edge, that Long wasn't able to get deep enough in his set to take him out of the play, and then Barwin gets around and swats the ball out of, of Bradford's hand. And I mean, you hope that Long is better. You hope that... One of the other two guys. I mean, Jeremiah Searles, I think, has been pretty decent to this point. Last week was not his best work, but I mean, if it's me, you hope Long is your left tackle, and, and Searles can play the right, and Clemmings is the the swing guy in reserve. I mean, that's what it, you know. If anybody's asking me, and I'm not sure that anybody is, but that would be how I would hope to approach it. Now, the problem with that is you still have to hope that Jake Long is going to be better, and that. What you saw last week was rust and not an indication of what he is at this point.
1: Let me give you two options, and you could tell me A or B. First option for solving this problem. What if,
0: what if I hate them both?
1: Well, then uh, it's too bad. It's like a Twitter poll. You can right. only click one of the two. You right. can't be the Twitter egg who says, why didn't you have what I wanted to be? You can't okay. be the Twitter right, egg. Don't do that to
0: me. I don't like Twitter eggs.
1: Option way, so. number A is to spread number the field. That was on purpose. I know. To spread the field. I left. Four wide receivers and Kyle Rudolph and nobody in the backfield. All right. Or let's say the 11 personnel where you've got the running back and you've got the tight end and then three wide receivers. Probably more
0: likely that considering the fact that I think they've run literally two snaps of four wide receivers. Since North Turner became the coordinator, right.
1: And if Cordero Patterson is uh, out this week, then, you know, they're especially yes. not going to be able to that do would that. Be a but, tricky. okay, so let's just say you either have the 11 personnel or four wide receivers and the tight end all, all spread, and you just go back to using the middle of the field, quick passes, yep. screen passes, bubble screens. That's option A. Okay. Option B is you use Rhett Ellison and more tight end work or even three tight ends in one wide receiver like atlanta will do sometimes i've noticed with julio jones they'll just have him out there that could be your stefan diggs right that's your only wide receiver send him deep throw the ball down the field those are your two options which would you rather see them do more of
0: well given the fact that option number b to consider (laughs) to continue the 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 theme here we saw a lot of that last year um When they had offensive line issues last year, we saw a lot of two and three tight end sets. Red Ellison, Kyle Rudolph, Michael Pruitt all being asked to help out, at least to chip blockers on their way out on pass routes. That works sometimes. I mean, they had more success running the ball doing that. But I would be curious to see more of the spread stuff because I think they've had some success with that. I think that fits better with what Bradford wants to do. And... I, I would be curious to see how it goes. I, I mean, I think if you spread out enough options and you run plays that something can come open quickly, you probably have more ability to move the ball consistently that way than trying to bunch up and, and run the ball a bunch. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's going to work quite as well. I think that works probably a little better when you have Adrian Peterson, obviously. But I guess, yeah, option A would be probably the one that I would say, if it's... Between one of these two, and they can obviously take a little bit from column A and a little bit from column B. But option A, I think, is the one I would would tend to lean toward.
1: That's the way I go too, and there's a play that comes to mind, not a not a big play, but uh against the Houston Texans where Sam Bradford makes a freakishly great throw with Whitney Merciless coming to end his life more or less. The one I to mean, Jarius the right. The one to Jarius right over yep. the middle. And there were a lot of situations last week where he doesn't have two seconds to throw the ball. He gets it, and they're in his face. But somebody has to be there for that to be his option to throw. And we focus on the throw because it was really good, a sidearm sling of Favre style. Yeah. But Jarius Wright is there on a short route over the middle and open enough to catch that ball. And to me, though, using the middle of the field, spreading it out, and taking a little bit of that Chip Kelly that he would have succeeded to some extent in Philadelphia sure. with, uh, I, th- I think they've done that really well at times during this season, and I want to see that continue and, and even more of it to mitigate uh, the, the problems with the pass protection. The other thing I'd like to see, or at least would be curious if they could finally get it going, is uh, th- how about a run game? I mean, how about a freaking run game? At some point... They have to break out with a run game to keep other teams honest in some way. I I am not a person that says, you've got to go establish the run. We were talking about, you know, a little bit football cliches. I am not not a believer in that. I think you you pass, and then that opens up the run game in general. But at this point, they had a little bit going against the Eagles. There have been spurts of Jarek McKinnon, who may be out this week, but – There has been nothing that would make an opponent go, all right, well, at least we have to watch out for this or that. It's been entirely you can focus every part of you on just stopping Sam Bradford in that short passing game.
0: Well, and the thing, too, to mention another wrinkle of that, I I guess I've been a little surprised in how um, basic their usage of Jarek McKinnon has been. Yeah, me too. What we saw at the end of last season, and some of that might be you can't, have him be the same kind of change of pace for Adrian Peterson when there's no pace to change from Adrian Peterson but some of the jet sweep stuff some of the motioning him out of the backfield we've seen a little bit of it but they haven't gotten the ball to him that way. I mean the the biggest wrinkle has been the Wildcat stuff which eh, hasn't done a lot in terms of effectiveness. I, I guess I would like to see them when he's healthy, if he's healthy this week get the ball in a little bit more of a of a varied context I you know I think they did that pretty effectively at the end of last season and I think that can be a fairly high percentage way to get a guy the ball that has a chance to make some plays downfield I there's more stuff you could do there you know maybe there's more stuff you can do with Cordero Patterson in that regard and and some of this stuff probably is easier to do too when you have a quarterback that's a little more mobile that's a threat to be able to to make some plays outside the pocket more so than Sam Bradford is but uh Yeah, I would be curious to see if they could do a little bit more to get Jerick McKinnon involved that way too. Hey guys, it's Phil Mackey from 1500 ESPN and one of the hosts of Sports Over Beers, the original 1500ESPN.com podcast where you find your favorite 1500 ESPN personalities drinking beer and talking sports. Pretty simple. Find it on iTunes, Podcast One, and 1500ESPN.com.
1: Do we think Ronnie Hillman can still play? I mean, there was very little of Ronnie Hillman, and the two or three plays he was in were... uh, about as negative of plays yeah. as you could possibly imagine. He the blew. second fumble. Yeah, I mean, he right. He blew a pass-blocking situation, and his one carry went for minus six yards, yeah. which is not necessarily his fault, yeah. but one carry for negative six is not really a good look for his first uh, action. But last year, he's effective with the Broncos a little bit. I mean, he averaged over four yards a carry. Didn't do much in their passing game, 4.6 yards per reception. And the Denver Broncos, at least in this way, seem to have things figured out in, in their running game last year. And they decided that Hillman wasn't good enough to keep around, which makes you wonder, and no one picked him up right away, like does anybody think this guy has anything left? But, I mean, he's the... He's the shorter guy, the the supposedly quicker guy than yeah. Matt Asiata, and I would think he's going to have to play quite a bit if McKinnon can't go.
0: Had a big running against the Vikings last year, had a seventy-two yard touchdown in Week Four. So, I mean, not not to say that that's the whole reason they signed him, but we have seen some sense of it in the last year, in the last thirteen months, I guess. That, yeah, we're we're probably going to find out. I mean, I I would expect if Jarek McKinnon is able to play, you're not going to sit there and say he can have the same kind of role where he's carrying 17 18 times maybe getting a couple catches i would assume they'd probably try to limit his touches a little bit this week given the fact that it's friday they've got one more practice and we still haven't seen him on the practice field um yeah we we could see more of ronnie hillman this week and as norv turner said today you ideally don't have the new guy in pass protection very much which means you probably see more of matt asiata this week and you hope that Ronnie Hillman can give you a little bit because, yeah, the 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 one example of pass protection that we saw last week was when he tried to, to get that block on uh, on the safety coming through in that blitz and basically kind of made it so that I, I can't remember if it was the safety or the linebacker on that one, but I think it uh, might have been the linebacker. It might have right? been Michael might have been uh, Eric Kendricks' older brother, Michael Kendricks. But uh, yeah, it, whoever it was, he did not do a lot to. Uh, to impede the progress of said He did said about as sure. much as
1: Blair Walsh did to tackle on yep. the uh, kickoff return yep. for touchdown. Yep. Yeah, that
0: was also not very pretty. But, similar uh, look there. Yeah. Well,
1: it, I mean, with Asiata, the thing that other teams can do against him is only worry about him as a pass catcher.
0: Yeah. I mean it' uh, all the box on Man yeah, right probably. as
1: odd as it feels for a guy that's that big he's been very effective in the receiving game yeah. even when you go back to when uh, Adrian Peterson was out but it's really all he can do 3.5 yards per carry for his entire career if you're if you're the opponent we could stop that with our front four
0: well and some of that is the number of goal line attempts he's had during I mean, a one-yard touchdown that's gonna bring the average down obviously but uh, yeah I mean he's certainly not a guy that's going to go out and and scare you in terms of making a ton of big plays he, I do think Matt Asiata is a guy that I think knows what he is and I think has done a pretty good job of saying, okay, given what I am and what I have, how can I fashion an NFL career that's going to last for a while? And he's 29 years old, still in the league, in a lot of ways because he's been able to do a lot of the jobs that people either can't do or don't want to do. That said, he's not going to be a game-breaker. He's not going to be a guy that teams are going to be scared of and have to account for a whole lot so it does make it I mean when you sit there and say McKinnon's hurt Patterson's still in the concussion protocol this is an offense that's kind of short on skill position players and playmakers anyway it doesn't help I mean that that's not a good situation but you know once again the defense is healthy you hope that that is enough to get the job done and you score enough points to get by So, I mean, Anderson Dejo is the only major injury to worry about this week on the defensive side of the ball. We'll see if he's able to go. But uh, the fact that they still have that defense, I I think they win this game in large part because of what they have on defense, and and hopefully they don't give up any special teams mistakes like they did last week.
1: Well, speaking of that, uh, can I give you another Twitter poll? Sure. Too bad you have to. Uh, So here's what I threw out there on Twitter on the 1500 account the other day. Where do we rank Jay Cutler in the league as a quarterback? Now, very oh, few f- people voted for top ten, God. so you could throw that selection out. But yeah, I,
0: no, I think I—I I don't think I would have opted for that one anyway. Uh, but. No,
1: but do you put him in the middle of the league, a little above average, ten to fifteen, a little below average, fifteen to twenty, or among the ten worst or twelve worst quarterbacks in the league?
0: I guess I would put him in the fifteen to twenty range, which. I realize maybe higher than his head coach would put him right now. Given <laughs> it does seem that some way. Some of the things that have come out of Chicago in the last week, I you know everybody knows what Jay Cutler is. I mean, he he turns the ball over. He has times where he looks disinterested. He checks out on his team. He has bad body language. I, he's not a guy that I would ever expect to win big, and he certainly hasn't there. And he's probably going to be gone after this year. That said, he's had a fair amount of success against the Vikings, and really the last three years he leads that game-winning drive against the Bears or against the Bears against the Vikings in 2013 that basically sort of pushed the 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 kerosene keg down the hill and the way that season went and basically started the the process of everybody getting blown out of there including you know the head coach obviously in 2014 he picked on Josh Robinson all day and, and had a, a pretty big day against the Vikings and then last year he played solidly I mean he threw I think it was 22 of 33 for 211 and a touchdown and didn't make any major mistakes I mean he's a guy that yeah I mean he's certainly not going to win big and he's not a guy I'd want to build around and it's certainly probably not a guy that Bears are going to build around much longer but when you look at you know some of the options around the league like what the Browns have or with the with the even what Brock Osweiler has been what the Texans have dealt with in the past I'd still take Cutler over those guys it's The unfortunate reality is there aren't a lot of guys that you trust right now in the NFL, and and that's probably why he's in the top 15 or 20, but that's where I'd put him. I
1: think I would rather have the worst quarterback situation in the NFL than have someone that ranks 20th.
0: Yes, I completely agree with that.
1: Because if you rank 20th, then you probably get franchise quarterback money and you probably get a bunch of years – because they say, well, all he needs is another wide receiver. Yes. All he needs is a defense. All he needs is a running game. And the reality of Jay Cutler is, there have been situations during his career where he's had those things, and he he's is not great
0: weapons yeah, around him. And he
1: is not, right, Matt Forte, Matt
0: Forte, Brandon Marshall, Alshon Jeffrey, and Martellus Bennett. Like, you and can't he win with that.
1: And he's won what one playoff game? Yeah, I think with he, the Bears. And he
0: looked awful in an NFC title game at home, where he basically either got hurt or begged out of the game, depending on who you believe, against their arch rival. I mean, that that's probably the moment where Chicago turned on him for good.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and even last year he has, he has an okay year, but he's, he's far from being good enough to carry a mediocre team. Yeah. Yeah, and I even when that. he's given as much as you can give him for weapons and talent, he still can't get you over the top because he's just not quite good enough. Though – it, but that's the conundrum is if you're a team with him, you go, well, I mean, whoever we draft, could is it going to be better than this? Right. I mean, this is kind of where Miami sits with Ryan Tannehill, although I would argue they've never given him enough uh, yeah. to work with they there. They tried. And, coaching and weapon, yeah they try every year in the offseason yeah. to sign as many players as they can but they have not done a good job there but there's, there's four or five quarterbacks in that category no matter what you do they probably can't win right and I think he is there though I still think I respect him enough to say he could have a huge game every now and then yeah
0: yeah I mean the guy has the kind of arm that you sit there and watch it and I mean he's one of those classic guys where he keeps getting chances because He has enough of those skills that lead some coach to say, I'm going to be the one to get it out of him. I'm going to be the guy that that taps into this guy and fixes him. I mean, Mark Trestman tried to do it. Adam Gase looked like he was making progress in that regard, and then he obviously gets a head coaching spot in Miami. Yeah, the big arm, he can move around enough that you say, okay, if we can get through to him, I, I think at this point you're probably not going to get more out of him, but that is why he continues to get chances I completely agree with you, though, that you would rather have a situation that you know is untenable, mm-hmm. that you know you're going to have to start over, because it probably means that you have a bad team, and it also means that you're not committing money to something that ultimately isn't going to win you anything. I, I think I remember writing this when Cutler got that contract extension in 2013. It's like, I've, I would rather have the Vikings situation where you know it's not good, you know you're going to have to go out and try to find a guy, than have somebody that's like, well, we gotta keep him, you know, Andy Dalton, even Tony Romo at times, probably better numbers. You know, those guys that you sit there and say, Well, it's not we don't want to give up because he's made the playoffs once or twice or we have a defense around him, whatever it would happen to be. But we don't really trust him to mm-hmm. get us over the top.
1: No, oh, I think Dalton is a great comparison. Yep. yep, it's it's just good enough to get you ten or eleven wins every year with great teams. I mean, those Cincinnati teams built around Dalton yep. have been until this year just phenomenal. Yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal like teams. Zimmer
0: defenses and AJ Green. I mean. and just
1: and still unable to get it done. And I, that is exactly where Cutler stands. But now in this case. He's got an abysmal team around him. Yes. Which means that his play in the couple of games he was in was really poor. And Brian Hoyer had numbers, but th- those are. I made this comparison with Blake Bortles. Like, if you're a fantasy player, you loved having Brian Hoyer or Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles
0: got it done for me last <laughs> night. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm up big after Thursday night's games in, uh, in one of my leagues.
1: But when. Uh, I, w- what the? The Lions one year won like three games, and John Kittner threw for 4,000 yeah. yards. Because you're. Mafford some years. You're losing all the time, yeah. and it's. It's 28-3, to three and then he throws three touchdowns or something like uh, that. Was, I think that was the case a yep. lot with Brian yep. Hoyer. Yep. So, but people will look at those numbers and say, oh, Cutler's worse than Hoyer, which is obviously not the case. But the team around Cutler this year is just so poor, yeah. and they've had injuries. And, I mean, this is a game where the Vikings should go in thinking, if we lose this one, then start then to have, have trouble. trouble then you have trouble because losing to the Eagles, I mean, that's understandable. I think that's – I came away thinking myself that I'm not so sure the hype around Carson Wentz is deserved, but yeah. that defense is for real in it's Philadelphia.
0: Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I think this is one of those games where you got to go in there and get a win. I think they will. I think this is a Bears team that is sort of probably kind of in burn-it-down mode. Like, they've been old. They they know they need to retool some things. And I, after this year, they probably will. I mean, I, you know, I don't think they're going to change the front office necessarily, but I do think there's going to be some pretty major personnel shifts, and, and that's going to start with the quarterback. So I think this is when the Vikings go in and win. The question I have in some ways as we have this quarterback discussion, and this is probably a, a topic for another day as, as we probably wrap things up here quickly, but a little teaser for whenever we have this discussion are the Vikings in that situation where they're in the middle with the quarterback, whoever, whichever one of the two it happens to be? That uh, it's not. We don't want to give up on him because maybe he turns the corner, but he might not be the guy.
1: I will give you my first take style thirty second answer on that, which is just: I don't think so. I think Bradford's better than that. Yeah. I think he's better than Jay Cutler. Last week, though, was a little break pumping. Yeah. And deservedly so. But I, 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 because I would put him in the category more of closer to Eli Manning. Sure. Closer to I wouldn't quite say Russell Wilson. He's probably quite a bit second, better. But upper
0: half of that second ten.
1: Yes. In the see, I think there's there's the chunk of quarterbacks who can win a Super Bowl with yep. a phenomenal team, and Sandow then there's always
0: has like four tiers in this. He does every year. and yes. Everybody gets all mad about it. <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: There's right. There's the guys who will win no matter what. Right.
0: And then there's the guys
1: who can win if everything is right. Yep. And then there's the guys who still can't win if everything is right. Yep. And, and then I then think guys Brad- that you
0: know are just dog crap terrible. Uh,
1: right. Yes. And then you have like your Ryan Fitzpatrick, where you better find a new one. Yes. I think Christian he is Conner. in. I think Bradford's in category two. I think you can win yeah. if everything goes right with him.
0: Yeah. I mean, the question is, is, is he in two or three? I guess, and that that ultimately may be the distinction the Vikings have to figure out in terms of whether they they go forward with the contract extension this offseason because they are going to have to make that decision. I think I'm sure Tom Condon is going to be uh angling for that and he he should be. Bradford's going into the last year of his contract. You're not going to know what you have with Teddy Bridgewater until very late next summer, if then. So they are going to have to make that decision with Bradford. If you feel like he's if he's in that top half of the second tier, and for those that don't realize Mike Sando does a thing every every fall that that tends to be hotly contested. It's not actually Mike Sando doing the rankings. It's Mike Sando from ESPN's NFL Insider talking to personnel people around the league. He gets a pretty wide cross-section of it. So everybody that rips on him for putting Teddy Bridgewater like 23rd in the league or whatever, that's not Sando saying that as much as him talking to people and and publishing a cross-section of the opinions.
1: But the Twitter eggs.
0: yes, the Twitter eggs get mad about it. But (laughs) um, the question is, is Bradford – in in the group where if everything goes right he can win big or is he in the boat where he's not going to win big even if you have all the pieces around him he's never really been in a position in his career to have a good answer to that question not even close the lack of what's been around him and that is going to be the thing this year offensively he still probably doesn't have everything he needs given all the injuries defensively he certainly does and it's going to be very interesting to see where that goes at the end of this year should we get to predictions here
1: we should yes
0: what do you got? Uh,
1: you know, I still don't think that the offense is ever designed to put up 40 points yeah. or anything like that. So every time I predict a score, it'll probably be in the 20s. Yep. For me, this is like a 27-10 to 10 type yeah. of game.
0: You and I always hit the scores very close together. I have 24-10 Vikings in this one. Yeah, Yeah, that
1: makes a lot of sense.
0: So whether they kick an extra field goal or not is the only difference. I've got
1: Walsh having a great game. So
0: so I suppose my this does he miss one for me or is the only attempt <laughs> that will be the difference one but that's the only difference in our predictions as we get the message from the Vikings that practice is ending soon we got to go talk to Mike Zimmer here fairly shortly but we will be back I suppose very early Tuesday morning with another edition after Vikings Bears on Monday night hopefully Chicago is still standing after the weekend yeah uh, after three world series games in which the Cubs could clinched I suppose if they sweep it so one way or the other it'll be an eventful weekend in Chicago we will have plenty of coverage from there both on ESPN.com and on 1500 ESPN.com and we will of course be back with another purple podcast from somewhere in Soldier Field early Tuesday morning thanks for listening to this edition have a good weekend and we will talk to you after Vikings Bears late Monday early Tuesday